Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. Well, we're going to be in the book of Malachi here this morning. And uh, easiest way to find the book of Malachi is uh, if you find the New Testament and uh, find the book of Matthew, you just go a few pages over and you will come to the book of Malachi. Now for uh, part of this year, this new year here that we're going to be we're going to be working through uh, some of these uh, minor prophets, and I thought it would be good to start with a tour of Italy and uh, work our way through the uh, book of Malachi. He's the Italian prophet. Um, never gets old, right? Um, but anyways, uh, the minor prophets, uh, especially here, uh, Malachi, he's part of the minor prophets. Um, he, it is, it's not minor because it, uh, the message isn't important or the message of Malachi is not as heavy as uh, some of the messages of the other prophets. Uh, basically, they're called minor prophets because of the length of, of the book. And the minor prophets uh, consist of 12 books and are listed in our English Bibles in this order. You find it Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Now, in our English Bibles, we have those groupings of those uh, books. It doesn't mean that if you read, uh, start with Hosea and you read through Malachi, that that means it's in chronological order either. Okay, so we have to make sure that we're understanding how these, uh, how the book of Malachi fits together with what was going on. Uh, during the uh, time of uh, Israel, Israel's history there. And the longest of these books, of the uh, groupings of uh, those books, uh, is the book of Hosea and Zechariah, with each having 14 chapters. The shortest of the minor prophet books is the book of Obadiah, with only one chapter. Um, one of our other elders reminded, uh, told me that uh, evidently some of our, uh, the English Bibles that we have they have a copyright thing that you're only allowed, uh, you, cannot, you cannot read more than 50% of a book. And so if you were just reading the, the book of Obadiah, like we would violate that copyright law, so which is kind of weird. But anyways, um, <laughs> but Obadiah is kind of a short book, and uh, it's followed by Haggai, which only has uh, two chapters. Now these minor prophets cover roughly a period of between 830 B.C. all the way to 420 B.C. And you can group them really into three periods of time. The first, the first group uh, that you would group together is uh, what is the captivity of God's people, or excuse me, the pre-captivity of, of Israel and Judah, um, which is between the dates of 830 B.C. and 723 B.C. And those would cover the books of Joel, Jonah, Amos, Hosea, and the book of Micah. Then you have the captivity of God's people. Uh, there was, uh, Israel was divided into two parts there. You had basically uh, Israel, which was the northern kingdom, 
And in 723 BC, Assyria came in and they besieged the city and took it captive uh, and they led those people off. Uh, and that was in 723 BC. Then you have the captivity of Judah, which is the southern kingdom of Israel. And in 586 BC, Babylon came in and they took captivity of those people, led them off into Babylon. And the books that cover that is uh, the, the minor prophets is Obadiah, Nahum, Zephaniah, and Habakkuk. Then you have post-captivity of God's people from the southern, when the southern kingdom, Judah, returns back to Israel after 70 years, uh, and this covers the uh, time period of 520 to 415 BC, and the books that cover that are Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. The northern kingdom, uh, when they were exiled, we don't find any uh, scripture telling us that they ever returned back to the homeland. But the southern kingdom uh, did get to go back to their homeland there in Israel. Um, and so why the book of Malachi? Why are we uh, studying the book of Malachi? Why are we going to teach through the book of Malachi here uh, beginning with? Well, the moral and spiritual conditions of Israel and Malachi's day are the same as those of professing Christians today. And you'll see this as we work through this book. There's going to be a lot of things that Malachi is going to say, that Malachi is going to talk about, that I think are really good applications for us today to help us understand what God requires, what God says. Um, I believe Malachi addresses many of the same problems that we face today, such as hopelessness, hypocrisy in our worship, injustice, apathy in our service to God, and losing sight of the day of the Lord, his second coming. So before we begin digging deep into this uh, book, I believe it's necessary for us that we know a little historical context of the book, and so that way we can set things in their proper place of understanding what was going on and why Malachi wrote what he wrote uh, to these people that were, uh, had came back from captivity and they're living there again in Jerusalem. And uh, so let's try to get a good perspective of the message here of the book of Malachi. So here's a few things that I want you to take notice here about some historical background of the book of Malachi. First of all, Israel was destroyed in 586 B.C. by the Babylonians. Uh, you can read all about that in the book of Jeremiah, 2 Chronicles, and Ezra, and Daniel. God allowed this to happen because of Israel's unfaithfulness, their idolatry of other gods. Time and time again, God warned them and said, hey, you guys need to repent. You need to stop living this way. You're running after all these other gods. You're not worshiping me. And God sent prophet after prophet after prophet. And he says, if you don't repent, if you don't repent, if you don't repent, this is what's going to happen. Well, Israel never repented. And uh, God sent the Babylonians uh, to come in and uh, take captivity of the city there. They destroyed the city, uh, and they led those uh, people off into Babylon in chains. And so Zedekiah, who was king of Jerusalem during this time, was captured his sons were killed before him, and then his eyes were gouged out, and then he was led away in chains to Babylon. You can read about that story in 2 Kings 25.7 and Jeremiah 39.7 as well. Uh, we find that the temple was destroyed. Uh, this was the first temple that uh, was built, um, 
And remember, this is the temple. God says, hey, I'm going to want to have a house. We're going to build a house for you. They had the temple there. They were uh, doing the sacrifices, all that stuff. Babylonians came in, and they ransacked that temple. I mean, they destroyed it. Right? Uh, also, the city walls were torn down. Walls were a great symbol and a reminder of security. And here is God's promise. Here, I have this land for you, for the children of Israel. Babylonians come in, and they obliterate the walls. They tear them all down. Uh, the temple's destroyed, walls are destroyed. And we also find that the city was burned then as well. I mean, this was, this was serious, serious stuff uh, that uh, God allowed to happen to his nation. Uh, and the city was burned. Uh, then we see that God's people were taken into captivity for 70 years. So in 586, Babylon, come, Babylon comes in, they destroy the temple, tear down the walls, burn the city, they kill uh, Zedekiah's sons, gouge out his eyes, they put all these people in chains, and they lead them off into Babylon. And they're in Babylon for 70 years serving other gods. In a way, God was saying, all right, you want to serve other gods? Here you go. I'm going to put you into captivity, and you're going to serve other gods now. Um, some of the kings that were uh, during this 70-year exile, the Babylonian uh, kings, you have Nebuchadnezzar, you have uh, evil uh, Muradok, Belshazzar, Darius, and finally Cyrus. Uh, and the book of Daniel covers all of these kings. Uh, Daniel served under all these kings. Remember, Daniel was a young man when he was led off into Babylon, right? I mean, just a very young man, probably a teenager. And uh, he gets part of uh, serving in the king's court. And Daniel serves under all these kings uh, for all of this. Israel has been allowed to go back to their land under King Cyrus. So after a period of 70 years now, King Cyrus allows some of the Jews to go back to Israel. There was a fulfillment of that. Uh, there was going to be a 70 years. In fact, that's what Daniel had been waiting for, 70 years, 70 years, 70 years. And now, finally, some of the Jews get to go back uh, there to Jerusalem, to Israel. And they rebuilt the temple, the walls, uh, and uh, they started temple worship again. All of that's covered in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, I believe they built the walls in a total of 52 days. Uh, if you can remember some of the story there of, of uh, Nehemiah, he's got uh, a, a trowel in one hand, he's got a sword in the other because he's fighting the enemies and he's building the walls, right? Um, so God's people get, to, get, get allowed to go back and they've rebuilt the temple, they've rebuilt the walls, they've reinstituted uh, temple worship. Let me give you a cool rabbit trail here just, uh, just something to kind of give you something to think about. Uh, in 2018... Uh, President Donald Trump recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And you say, why is that important? Well, in 1948, uh, Israel became a nation again. And in 2018, President Donald Trump said, we're going to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Guess how many years between 1948 and 2018 was? 70 years. In fact, it was so, so awesome with all of this that uh, uh, Israel decided to mint a coin uh, to commemorate this, uh, this awesome thing that took place. Um, 
and let me give you a picture here of that coin here. Um, so on the, on the coin there, you have uh, the image of two people. You have the image of Cyrus, who allowed uh, Israel to go back to their homeland. And then you also have the image of Donald Trump. And then if you see the reverse side of that coin, you see that picture there? That is the third temple that they are planning on building. In fact, plans have already been made. They have everything they need to start building the temple they got everything ready. All they have to do is just start doing it. We are a lot closer to the return of Jesus Christ than I think that we've ever thought of. I mean, this may be something that we may see in our lifetime. So the, the message of Malachi is really important because many times in our life, we lose facts of Christ's return. We become apathetic. We become hypocritical hypocritical in our worship, just like how uh, Israel uh, had done as well. And so they have all these plans together uh, for all of this type of stuff. Let me give you some more historical background here, put all this in, in picture here. Before Malachi's message, two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, were instructive to the Jews returning back to Israel and rebuilding the temple. And so uh, in those minor prophets uh, there in uh, Haggai and Zechariah, they, they help the, the, the Jews. They're, they're telling them, hey, this is what you need to do. They're giving them a message of Messiah's coming. They're saying, hey, this is going to happen. This is really going to happen. And they help the people try to get back on track. But in Haggai 538... Uh, 538 B.C. in the book of Haggai, he encouraged God's people to repent and renew their covenant with God and rebuild the temple. The temple was really a symbol of God's restored presence among his people. Uh, in fact, in, does anybody remember when the second temple got destroyed? 70 A.D., that's right. Um, they came in, they marched on Jerusalem, and they, they destroyed the temple uh, Jesus said, not one stone would be left upon another. And then remember he was saying, you know, you destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it back up. And they were like, oh, look at this temple. Look, it took us years to, you know. And Jesus is like, no, I'm talking about the temple of my body, right? Um, so they're going to be rebuilding the third temple, right? But uh, the, the, the rebuilding of the temple uh, for the Jews, it's always been this thing of this is God's presence among us. This goes all the way back to even the Old Testament days when they were camping in the wilderness, right? God was leading them, right? And they were camping in tents and God's presence was dwelling in the ark, right? There's the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire by night, uh, and God's presence was with them. And when they have this temple here uh, rebuilt, it's just this reminder of, hey, God's presence is going to be with us. And so, again, here they are. You've got to think about this. They're, they've come out of captivity. They're going back to their homeland again. I mean, there's this excitement of, yes, we finally get to go back now. And let's rebuild the temple. Let's rebuild the walls. Let's go back to worshiping God like we should. And by the way, this exile of 70 years, this cured Israel of worshiping other gods other than the Lord God. In fact, many of the sects such as uh, the Pharisees uh, and the scribes really arose during this time and said, no, 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 we're not going to worship other gods. We're not going to, like, they wanted to make sure we were going to keep the law. Um, so here they are, they have this anticipation of rebuilding the temple and God's presence being among them again. In uh, the book of Zechariah, 
In 516 BC, he encouraged God's people to keep their covenant with God now that the temple was rebuilt. And he's like, guys, let's stick with it. Let's keep doing what we should be doing. Let's make sure we keep the Lord our God as the God, the only God in whom we are going to serve. So because of the rebuilding of the temple in 516 BC, God's people thought that Messiah would now come and establish his kingdom. I mean, here they are. Their temple's been destroyed. They've now rebuilt it, and they're going, we are anticipating Messiah to come now. But guess what? It didn't happen. And because it didn't happen, they now began to grow cold to the things of God. They began to lose focus of what's important in worship to God. Now, yes, Messiah is coming. Messiah is prophesied to come. This is what the whole problem was, even with the, when, uh, when Jesus was walking on, on the earth with us, right, and the, and the people, is they were expecting a different type of king. They didn't want Jesus. They wanted a king who was going to sit on the throne and kick those Romans out and finally restore the glory of Israel. In fact, do you remember when Jesus, after he was crucified and after he resurrected, his disciples said, Lord, now are you going to restore the glory of Israel? Now is it going to happen? He's like, no, (laughs) you don't understand what is supposed to take place. Yes, Jesus is going to come back and he is going to restore the glory of Israel. He is going to sit on the throne. God's people lost sight of that. And so the Jews have always misunderstood the coming of Messiah. And this sets really the context of Malachi's message for us. This helps us understand why Malachi wrote what he wrote to the people that uh, he was uh, uh, giving prophecies to and speaking to. Malachi's message is given after the Jews have returned back to Israel and the temple walls and worship has been restored. And so it sets in for us now 450 to 420 B.C. that uh, Malachi writes his message. By Malachi's day, Israel was again hopeless and now disobedient. They wondered if God had finally forgotten them. They had placed their hope in something other than God. Uh, And this is really seen in this outward form, this display of worship, but really their hearts weren't really in it. And so Malachi addresses a lot of that, um, and he tries to help them understand those things. Uh, His message is a call for repentance and a reminder of hope. You don't need to lose hope of Christ's coming, of Messiah's coming. He is coming. He is going to put things back in order. Don't lose hope of that. Don't lose hope that he is the one that we are supposed to be worshiping. He is the one that we are supposed to be uh, acknowledging. He's the one that we're supposed to be obeying. Don't lose hope of that. And it's a reminder of his love to his people. You see that in Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. We see that uh, the priests have become corrupt and worship was ro- routine. There was no heart behind it. Uh, he tells about that, Malachi 1, 6, all the way through chapter 2, verse number 9. Uh, divorce was now widespread. Uh, he talks about that in Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. Justice was ignored. Malachi chapter 2, verse 17 uh, through uh, Malachi 3, verse number 5. God's reminder of the hope of a coming Messiah through a messenger. He gives us this, that uh, John the Baptist was going to be a forerunner of Jesus' coming, right? That there's going to be someone who's going to come, who's going to be a forerunner, who's going to announce uh, Messiah's coming. 
And that was John the Baptist. By the way, just a little side note. Did you know that, yes, the Antichrist will also have a forerunner? Who will that be? The false prophet. Okay? So there's going to be signs. There's going to be one. Hey, Messiah is coming. Messiah is coming. And this is why it's important that we understand who is Jesus? Who is he? Right? And so Malachi tells us about the coming Messiah through a messenger. Uh, tithing was being neglected in Malachi 3, verses uh, 6, all the way through verse number 12. Uh, then he confronts their apathy in their worship and service to God. Malachi 3, verses uh, 13 through 18. And uh, he also tells about God's promise of hope in the great day of the Lord. Malachi 4, 1 through 6. And Malachi challenged the people to place their hope back in God. Hope won't grow, I believe, unless it's rooted in a knowledge of him. Specifically, a knowledge of his promises of what he says. And so here is God's people. They're hopeless. They're, they're doing all of these things. There's really no heart behind anything that they're doing. It's just, just outward, outward conformity, outward showing of things. And Malachi says, look, guys, I want to help you. I want to give you some hope. And if we're going to have hope, then it must be rooted in the knowledge of who God is and what he says. After Malachi's message, there's a period of 400 silent years. No prophet spoke. There was no dreams. There was no visions. There was nothing. And there was this, there was this period of 400 silent years. And there was hopelessness. They had lost sight of what was important. They thought that by having their temple restored, walls rebuilt, that somehow that would bring about God's blessing and his glory. They were expecting Messiah to return, but he didn't. And so we must remember that when we are faced with hopelessness, Scripture is full of hope. Malachi's message is just abounding in hope. If we understand what he's saying. If we understand that, hey, we need to accept the truthfulness of who God is and what he says. And so... His message restores our hope by challenging us to root our hearts, our minds, and lives in God and his truth. I want to wrap this up, this introduction, with the first verse. Malachi 1.1. Notice what he says here. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. The word oracle here means burden. Malachi had a burdensome word to share with the people. This was something that weighed heavy on his heart and on his mind. He's coming to God's people and he's carrying the burden, this word, because now he has to confront these people. He has to confront what they're doing. He has to confront how they're behaving. He has to confront what they've been thinking, how they've been acting. And it's heavy to him. And he's coming 
to them. This tells us that the message of Malachi will be difficult, perhaps even threatening to hear. In fact, I just want to warn you that as we go through this book, a constant theme that you're going to be getting every single week and a constant theme that you're going to be hearing is rebuke and judgment. Now, it's important for us as God's people to be rebuked. It's, inco- it's important for us as God's people to understand God's judgments. And so I just want to forewarn you, yes, we are going to look at hope. Yes, we are going to talk about hope. But we're also going to be confronted with some things that probably we're not going to like to hear. We're going to be confronted with some things that are probably going to make us feel a little uneasy. We're going to be confronted with some things that are probably going to expose the hypocrisy in our lives. And so we must not close our ears or hearts to truth. As believers in Christ, we must not shy away from truth. God's word is described by three things always in Scripture. In Jeremiah 23, 29, Jeremiah writes, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock to pieces? In Hebrews 4, 12, the word of God tells us that his word is described as a sword, He says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And in Jeremiah 20, 29, again, he tells us that his word is like a fire. He says, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. Many times when we hear the word, when we hear what God has to say, his word is like a hammer and it's going to break us. It's going to crush us. It's going to cause us to be broken before him. Many times his word is going to be like a sword and it's going to pierce us and we're going to feel it. We're going to go, oh, oh, that hurt. But it's good for us to be pierced and to be crushed. And many times his word is going to be like a fire. And it's going to ignite a passion within us to follow God and to be true to his words. And as we go through the book of Malachi, if you are crushed, if you are broken, if you are pierced, or you're ignited to follow God, that's a good thing. Two things. If we want to grow in our hope of God, then we must accept truth. Every one of us must grapple with truth, much like the people that Malachi spoke to in his own day. If we accept truth, no matter how difficult, offensive, threatening, or hurtful it may make you feel, the only way that our hope can grow is that it must be rooted in the soil of truth. Never allow your feelings to dictate the truthfulness of God's word. Well, I don't like what he said. I guarantee you there are probably people in Malachi's day that just said, you know, he just is so judgy. Man, I just don't like that. If we're going to grapple with truth, then we must accept it just as it is given to us. And sometimes it may crush us, 
Sometimes it may pierce us, but it's truth. And we must acknowledge that if we want our hope to grow in the Lord. Secondly, truth can be hard to hear and accept. Malachi was not responsible to making sure that they accepted and followed through with truth, only that he was to warn, to rebuke, and exhort them with the word of the Lord. God is not going to force you to accept and to obey his truths either. But you will be held accountable for the truthfulness of what you hear. This is why I believe our Lord Jesus always said, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. And so if you have ears to hear, then hear the truthfulness of God's word. Because if we want our hope to grow, and if we want our understanding of who God is to be matured and for us to grow in Christ's likeness, then we're going to have to hear the truthfulness of what Malachi is going to say as we work our way through this. So what truth about God and what he commands do you need to accept, believe, and obey? All of us are going to be confronted with truth. In fact, there's a whole section in here in the book of Malachi that talks about how the priest and what they were doing. Boy, man, that's a rebuke to me. That's a rebuke to our other elders here as well. How, how and what we are doing as, as leading God's people in that sense. And so we're all going to be rebuked. All of us are going to have to come to grapple with the truth of what God's word has to say. And so I encourage you as we work through the book of Malachi, have your heart open and ready to receive what God has to say. And I encourage you, you know, Malachi is only four chapters. I encourage you to read it, reread it continually. Keep going through it as we work our way through the book of Malachi. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.